You are the sum of your parts. So your whole story comes to work with you, whether you like it or not. So whether it's your colleague or your boss that does something, you're going to respond in the manner that you learned how to deal with emotions as a child from watching your parents or your caregivers, whoever you grew up with. Um, you are bringing that to the workplace now. Welcome to Depth and Candor, the podcast that explores how changemakers of color define and live out their purpose through their careers, side hustles, and entrepreneurial contributions. I'm your host, Hiwete Gaetana, and I am thrilled to take you with me as I talk to incredible innovators about what it really takes to do impactful work and live a life you love. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. I have been overwhelmed and excited by all of the love that you guys showed to the last episode with Rianca Dorsonville on pursuing financial success and financial freedom. And uh, I, my, one of my favorite things is getting screenshots on Instagram and having you guys tag me in them. Um, so like screenshots of you listening to the episode and your commentary. So one of my favorites from the last episode is from Icia Velli. And he says, the Depth and Candor podcast is a game changer for millennials of color, making strides towards living a more vibrant and purposeful life. Each episode shifts my perspective so much on what I thought I knew, but turns out I was clueless. And I screenshot it and I shared it because those are such powerful words and they motivate me. And it makes me so happy to know that they're actually making something that I'm doing is actually making a difference in your life. I love, love, love that. So if you listen to this episode and you get some nuggets out of it, please at me on your IG stories because I want to know what you're getting out of it and I want to I want to feel encouraged by the fact that you are feeling inspired and encouraged. And if the spirit hits you, then also leave a review on iTunes because that's how people find you on um, the Apple Podcast app. So if you really like this episode or if you liked the last one, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Now, moving on to the actual episode, um, today's episode is brought to you by Skillshare. As many of you know, Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes in design, business, and technology. It's a monthly membership site designed for busy people like me who want to learn new skills and expand their skill set. So I'm currently taking an Adobe Illustrator course on Skillshare, and it's helped me build my design skills like really significantly in a short amount of time. And Skillshare usually costs like $8.25 a month. But if you'd like to try Skillshare for totally for free for two months, you can sign up using the promo code depth and candor free. And I think it's a perfect platform for those of you who are listening to this episode, who have hobbies, and you're you're like, you know, I kind of want to see if I could make this like a real side hustle. I wonder if I could make money off of this. If you are one of those people, I strongly encourage you to just go on the website, use the promo code, and try it for free for two months and see if there's a class on there that you really want to take. But today's guest and I are talking about something you can't really learn on a platform like Skillshare. I'm super, super excited to share this episode because in it, I'm talking to an incredibly relatable therapist about her career journey and mental health in the workplace. As many of you know, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I primarily started going to therapy because of my personal quest to like live this vibrant life, right? So I felt like my life was good, but I wasn't really, I didn't know how to truly appreciate it and find contentment in it. And um, by going to therapy, I've learned so much about myself and about how I process information, how that affects my happiness and my ability to execute on my purpose. And that last piece I think is has been the most like, I guess happiness, you know, is like very important, but I really value my work. So it's been really nice to see the correlation between how good emotion management results in 
better performance on a day-to-day basis and actually like being useful to the world and being of service to the world because you are good at managing the internal um, stuff that's going on. Today's guest is Farah Harris. Farah is a Haitian-American therapist based in Illinois. She specializes in helping people love the skin they're in by connecting them to their stories, teaching them how to own their voices, better manage their emotions, and form healthier boundaries. She also teaches clients to develop coping skills, manage stress, process grief, and improve their relationships. So this episode is perfect for you. If you're curious about managing burnout and microaggressions in the workplace, um, if you are curious about the relationship between self-worth and work, and also the relationship between confidence and competence, without further ado, let's go to the episode. Farah, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Um, you know, I didn't ever tell you how I found you, did I? I I think you said that you listened to the Therapy for Black Girls. Is that correct? That's right. So I did. So I heard your episode on Therapy for Black Girls. But then like how I was really like, okay, I need to have her on the show was <laughs> when I went on your site, I read. So I'm going to read this because it's amazing. And it's exactly what I wish I had seen like five years ago on a therapist's website. Because if I lived in Illinois, I would 100% have come to you. And here's what you say. (laughs) You said, who are you? Like, who are you really? It seems life has a checklist. Go to school, make friends, find a job, buy a house, get married, have kids, conquer the world. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with this list. It just ignores one key component. You. I love that, Farah. How did... <laughs> Yay! How did... It's always hear it like with someone else's voice <laughs> so that was like, well, wow, that's pretty good it's amazing because the more I kept reading the more I was like you know what I this is exactly why we need to have a conversation because one of the lines you say is your life circumstances have or our life circumstances have affected us in many ways you have a unique story it may not be rosy but it is colorful yes. so why don't we start by you telling us about your story? How did you end up becoming a therapist? Like, what was your journey like? So mine is definitely colorful. <laughs> when people ask, you know, I think there's this assumption that when you're in a certain career, like this is kind of what you dreamt about growing up, like you're going to be a banker or you're going to be a doctor. Yeah, that wasn't me. So I had thoughts as a teenager that I was going to become like the real life Claire Huxtable. So I was going to be a corporate attorney. Mm-hmm. And then I took my first law class and was like, oh, yeah, nah, <laughs> this is not for me at all. And I, I think I actually surprised my friends and my family for going in the you know business route because I was very creative. I was always drawing. Um, writing stories. So they were surprised that I was like, they were like finance free law. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, you know, you go to college and you realize you're kind of stuck sometimes So not everybody, but I felt stuck just to continue to um, stay in my major so I can graduate in four years. Mm-hmm. So I switched from finance to economics and graduated, but I graduated and then 9-11 happened. So it was really difficult to find a job. And so I was like, well, you know, let me take this opportunity to tap into that right side of my brain that I've kind of ignored for the last four years and went to school for fashion design. And so, yeah. So then the left side of my brain started pulling at me again, was like, no, this isn't it. So I stayed within the same school, but switched over to, um, marketing and management, which I felt like gave me a a decent balance of the two of my left and my right brain. Mm -hmm. So I could be creative and logical at the same time. And um, it it afforded me an opportunity to uh, go and start my career in corporate America as a marketing analyst, which very quickly I realized was not where I wanted to be. Mm. And so um, I was in a position at a small boutique firm that pretty much burnt out um, 
those who were in my position. And there was very limited career path. And I decided, you know, this is not a good fit for me, but I don't know how to tell my husband that I want to quit my job. Thankfully enough, they realized they didn't know what to do with the position and they eliminated it, um, which allowed me to be laid off, which was like the best thing that ever happened. And um, it took about a year. But within that year, I said to myself, let me just focus on my creator since I'm his creation, who better to tell me what to do next? And I just kind of pursued God for you. I mean, not that I don't pursue him now, but during that season, I was just like, you know, we're just going to not stress on trying to find the next job. Let's just, um, you know, kind of in a way be still and be mindful of the things that I was good at, you know, paying attention to uh, things that my friends and my family were saying, uh, and I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm going to go into the mental health field. Um, mm. I have, you know, people kind of came to me for advice, though therapists are not advice givers, but that I was that safe place for many people. Um, and I had a, a knack for intuition and, and for helping. So I said, maybe this is where I need to go. And literally after taking my first course, I was like, this is where I meant I, I was meant to be. But did you were you applying to jobs or did you just feel like? Yeah, I did apply to a few jobs after um, the layoff. So I again was trying to see if I can go deeper into the creative field. So mm-hmm. I was looking at advertising firms. Um, I also considered you know copywriting. And I remember my husband one day was said, "Hey, why don't you chill out? Because you don't want to be in this position again." where you find a job and then in two years you hate it. Right. And I was really shocked that he said that because I'm like, okay, you really must be comfortable um, allowing us to (laughs) live off of your salary. Um, But I'm so grateful that, you know, I married such a a supportive husband that was like, well, you know, just give yourself space and time so that you can actually really tap into what you would want to do. So now you are a licensed therapist and you also say you are an identity truth expert. What does that mean? Funny enough, it was the hubby that coined that phrase. Um, and I was like, what, what, what is that? And he's like, well, you know, you have a knack to challenge clients, friends, family, whomever with the truth in love, though. Um, and get to the heart of who they are. And so, like, my passion is to have others live authentic, authentic, authentically, authentically, there you go, <laughs> to live authentically, and but also to live in freedom. And, you know, it is the cliche or the term that the truth will set you free, but I truly believe that. Like, when we can really put everything on the table, um, we are able we are able to like dissect and understand how better to react and move with that truth. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where he's just like, you know, you kind of check people, but in a loving way mm-hmm. <laughs> and you make them, you know, address the truths in their lives. Mm-hmm. So is this the same thing as like figuring out what your values are and then living in alignment with them? Yes. So You know, I say that, um, you know, your values help to create your boundaries. Mm -hmm. So an example of that, like on a personal level is like if you're dating. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you could be a a person that's dating someone and say faith is really important to you. That's a huge value in your life where you want to be able to date somebody of the same faith or you are. Um, really desiring to have children. And so you want to make sure that your partner values, you know, um, building a family. Mm-hmm. The issue is I have run across clients and friends and family who will tell me what their values are and completely do the opposite. Mm-hmm. So they'll go out on a date and find out that this person does not have the same faith or does not have a you know faith you know belief at all or they'll go with someone who's like yeah I'm not really feeling like kids are in my future and there's this hope because they like them or they're attracted to them that maybe their mindset will change mm-hmm. maybe but you don't know <laughs> and it's like kind of playing russian roulette and you're hoping that things will change but in the end you've literally have chosen to step out of that boundary line that you created 
and then are surprised to receive the consequences of that decision. So when we talk about values and alignment, how do you figure out what your values are? If you're just, if you're listening to this and you're like, I have no idea what my values are. Mm. That's interesting. I think we do know. I think we just don't want to own them. Mm. <laughs> you know, because there are things that we just go, yeah, no, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> um, but we don't want to be viewed as narrow or as picky, you know, especially if you're a woman and you're saying that you want to date a certain type of man. Um, you don't want to be viewed as, again, you know, being too picky or high maintenance or whatever, but your values are what's important to you, that your values have been instilled in you since you were a kid. You know, if you value humor, um, a good work ethic, uh, like I said before, like faith and children, it's, it's going to be clear. And usually when it's unclear to you, it becomes clear when you become irritated. So you know your boundary has been crossed when now you're frustrated, um, you're, you know, angry at this person, uh, something that you thought was something simple, like borrowing $10, <laughs> then you realize, hey, they haven't paid me back. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that irritation means that, oh, maybe they've crossed your financial boundaries. Right. And, you know, the, the, the value of integrity is important to you. Um, and so it's just those moments of kind of slowing down and being aware of like, what's important to me? Um, when X doesn't happen, how do I respond? You know, even in the place of work, you know, if you have a boss, that's a micromanager, you'll recognize that that bothers you. <laughs> and so you can go, Hey, one of my values is being able to be trusted at work and that, you know, what I do, um, will be advocated for and, uh, they would trust that I would be able to do the work well when someone is micromanaging me. I'm feeling like they don't trust me um, and they're not giving me space because I also value my space. Mm -hmm. So we do know what our values are. We may just not name them. So when you were talking about a micromanager, I immediately went back to my experiences with micromanagers where I remember thinking, I'm doubting myself because I feel like you're doubting me. And I know that one of the things you focus on is helping people get out of like these circular thoughts that are around self-doubt and wondering if their self-worth is actually like what they thought it was. So what's the common, what's the most common reason that you see that where people get stuck in these patterns of self-doubt or attaching their self-worth to poor performance? I think that's an excellent question. Um, so I'm just a natural encourager uh, and love to affirm others. And I realized that we, we are just all naturally have some level of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. um, it's because there's change and the unknown can create a bit of hesitancy or anxiety. And our brains, though they can adapt to change, they don't always like it. <laughs> so our brains are going to try to you know, resist, you know, a, a different thought process. So if you have self-doubt and you're trying to tell your brain, well, no, think, con you know, confidently brain is going to resist because you've been able to create all of these um, pretty much neurotransmitters that are sending the single of think this way, not this way. Right. But I've also noticed that, you know, that's just kind of the natural thing that we all have a moment of self-doubt. But when the self-doubt is connected to your self-worth, mm. that's related to a personal narrative. You know, mm. how we grew up, what words are spoken to us by our parents or caregivers or friends or teachers, um, was there a break in attachment? You know, so there's those who never knew their parents or they're adopted um, or there was neglect or abandonment. Like this is connected to our identity and our self-worth. So once I'm able to help clients connect to that, um, to their stories and highlight the reality of their experience to the truth of, you know, their existence, mm -hmm. then we can dispel the lie of worthlessness. And we can retrain our brain and our heart to recognize um, our value and our our areas of competency, um, which I guess goes back to being the IT, <laughs> the identity truth person, you know, uh, consultant. And um, but this work can't be done if you don't connect to your story and you run away from your story. So 
oftentimes I find that our voice of self-doubt that's in our heads are not really our own voices. They're the voices of mama or dad or, you know, Mr. Jackson or whoever called you stupid, dumb, crazy, etc. So it's really being able to unpack, is that doubt just because it's something new? Or is that doubt related to your identity and your belief of how worthy you are? You know, you touched on the word competence, which how do you relate competence and confidence? Hmm. I believe that they, they're cousins. <laughs> um, and I mean, you could be a confident person in just who you are generally, you know, you just have this air of, I can do it, even if you've never tried. <laughs> but uh, there's a, there's a true level of confidence where you, you are, are trusting in yourself, not just because you believe in you, but you know, you can do it because it's been done before. Mm-hmm. So the, unfortunately, there are some people who are very competent, but are not confident in their competency. And that goes back to whatever their narrative is in their head. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm really not that great. And, you know, people are like, wow, you did an amazing speech. You're great. And they're questioning, you know, did they say the right word? How did it come across? You know, they may have missed a line. And now they're, you know, kind of to your story, they're not really celebrating the good that they've done and what they were good at because they're stuck in this place of, negative thinking. And so, you know, when confidence and competent like come together, oh my gosh, it's amazing. (laughs) It's like, this is where people excel. This is where, um, you know, they, they thrive, you know, and it almost becomes an unconscious, uh, what was it? I was at like a Lisa Nichols conference and, um, In one of the breakout sessions, they had said like an unconscious competency is where you're in your flow. Like when you're just doing things naturally and you're not thinking about it, but you're just amazing at it. And that, that is where, you know, we thrive at and which is amazing, but they do need to go together for you to feel successful. So you can't just be competent and not feel confident about it and think that you're going to be able to be successful. Hmm. So many of us are working towards feeling this like sense of like true, true confidence in our lives, in our careers, et cetera. But along the way, I think there are probably some emotion management skills that we could use to help us feel successful or to help us actually succeed in our work and in our purpose. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'm, I believe that it doesn't really matter the age to understand um, emotional intelligence and emotional regulation. You know, I'm a mom of two kids, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and I'm teaching them emotional intelligence now Hmm. so that they can grow up to be not just successful, you know, adults, but to be able to have um, success in all areas of their lives, in relationships, in and outside of work, because they know how to manage their emotions. They're not wiling out. Uh, they're not shutting down. Um, but in them being able to understand how they feel and where their emotions are coming from, um, they can you know, truly be their authentic self and have that freedom in being who they are but then now they create a space for others to be free and authentic themselves. Mm. So how do you do that? How do you teach somebody how to develop these emotional management skills? Practice, (laughs) like simple word, simple answer, hard to do though. Um, So I tell clients in particular who, who struggle with emotional intelligence, because again, it's not really, taught. That's why we do have all these adults in the world who, you know, are almost unhinged and you're not understanding why they respond to uh, a small situation or a big situation the way that they do. Mm -hmm. And I tell my clients, find an opportunity and a person that you feel safe with. So for, you know, I use parents or clients who are parents and I was like, use an opportunity to practice emotional intelligence with your kids. 
So when your child is having a tantrum, do you join them? (laughs) Are you having a tantrum with them? Are you yelling at them to calm down and, and, you know, because they've aggravated you or are you taking the time to practice? What is it about this child's attitude and behavior that is triggering me? You know, am I tired? You know, because then, you know, I've heard, well, they shouldn't be disrespectful. Are they really being disrespectful? Or are you interpreting it as disrespect because you don't know how to handle it? And so, you know, just being able to practice in, um, you know, small experiences where, quote unquote, you know, my, my joke is like, how did it go? And they were like, oh, it went fine. I'm like, okay, no one died, right? <laughs> so it's like having those moments where you can have that safe space to practice slowing down. Um, I use the uh, breakdown of emotional intelligence as like walking a dog. So you don't want the dog to walk ahead of you. So you don't want your emotions to be ahead of you. You don't want your dog to be behind you, i.e. your emotions, you know, lagging behind. Those are kind of those people who are more passive or passive aggressive. You want your emotions to be right next to you. And so that you're constantly aware of them, then you're, and, and you're able to assess where's the root of this coming from. And then you're able to properly address it. The thing is that we usually just react and we learn that from how we grew up. So you could have a family that never talked about feelings or emotions rather, um, because feelings is the physiological manifestation of an emotion. Um, Or they expressed emotion, but in an unhealthy way, i.e. screaming, yelling, punching walls, drinking, you know, uh, verbal abuse, that kind of stuff. Or you had a family that actually discussed what was going on and what was happening. And so, you know, people are surprised when I say, yeah, well, let's talk about emotional intelligence at work specifically. Mm-hmm. And they were like, wait, what? And I was like, we have humans working with other humans. Let's take a humanistic approach <laughs> to work. Yeah. And, you know, and having them remember and recognize you are the sum of your parts. So your whole story comes to work with you, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So whether it's your colleague or your boss that does something, you're going to respond in the manner that you learned how to deal with emotions as a child from watching your parents or your caregivers, whoever you grew up with. um, You are bringing that to the workplace now. Hmm. So, you know, as you're talking about emotional intelligence, the scenarios I'm thinking of are you know, like me interacting with another coworker or me interacting with a client for any of my like freelance work. But mm-hmm. what about emotionally managing the internal feelings that come up for me when I feel like, oh my gosh, can I actually do this thing? You know, when I'm doubting myself or when I'm feeling yeah. like, can I actually, did I sign up for too much if I feel overwhelmed? How do I manage those kinds of situations? First of all, he will say those are great questions. Those are great internal questions mm-hmm. that I don't think we pause enough uh, to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of mindfulness is, you know, people think like you need to meditate for an hour <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, no, it's just learning how to be present at the moment. So if, say you're having that self-doubt or you're wondering if you put too much on your plate, ask yourself that. And then the key thing is, what is that emotion that comes up? Is it anxiety? Is it anger? Uh, is it fear? You know, whatever the emotion is and try not to judge the emotion. So the issue that usually happens, especially when it's anxiety related, is that we now have an emotion of on the emotion. So now we're angry that we're anxious or we're anxious that we're anxious. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of like almost like split in two. So instead of addressing your you know initial emotion you're so focused on the 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 latter emotion yeah. so um for example and i know my hubby probably would be like why did you bring that up <laughs> <laughs> but he would have he would have issues sometimes where if he felt um disappointed about something mm-hmm. he did not want to feel that disappointment so he would try to fight against that emotion. Yeah. Um, and so he would be adding another layer of emotion to it. So he'd be angry with himself that he was disappointed. Right. 
So then he's now focusing on the anger instead of saying, oh, I'm disappointed because X, Y, and Z happened. And the thing is, once we acknowledge, back to what we talked about early in our conversation, the truth, like the truth is, um, you know, I didn't get the client to sign off on, you know, this project. I'm disappointed with that. Right. Like once you kind of put it out there, it kind of diffuses the the weight of the emotion. Um, and you're now able to go like, yeah, that kind of sucks because I worked hard on that. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but, you know, let me see if I can grow from the experience. You know, I, I say failures feedback. So how can we do things differently? You know, maybe this wasn't the best client, uh, you know, to do this project, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of avoiding the, you know, true emotion of being disappointed and focusing on being angry that you are disappointed. It's yeah. just wasted energy. Yeah. You know, you're totally right. Usually if I'm anxious about something, what happens is that that anxiety makes me more anxious. And then I'm like, oh my God, I can't sleep, you know? So I love that. And I think that that is a beautiful reminder. I think many of us have probably heard that, but hearing it again for me is super, super helpful because I do tend to do a lot. And then I'm like, oh crap, I have so much on my plate. Like what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? Either verbally process it if you can with somebody that, you know, is not there to be judgmental, but kind of like a sounding board mm -hmm. or write it down. You know, our brains are amazing that way that it's like, if you do a brain dump is what I call it. Mm -hmm. Like, especially if you're anxious before bed, because you're thinking about all the things you have to do the next day, mm -hmm. write it down. And your brain is amazing that if you get the sleep <laughs> that you need, it will come up with the insights. It will come up with the solutions so that when you wake up in the morning, you're good. And you kind of go like, okay, this is what I have on my plate, but these are the three things that like need to get done today. And then you could prioritize. And now you know where to put the energy at. But when we're so focused on the anxiety that is induced because of the anxiety, yeah. nothing gets done. Yeah. And so, you know, a big part of why a lot of us put a lot of things on our plate is because we are high achievers. We want to get a lot done. And especially those of us that are either that come from immigrant families or those of us who are immigrants, <laughs> um, we attach a lot of like who we are, at least I did for a really long time. A lot of my like self-worth was attached to my achievements. So what are some concrete ways that you encourage young women to step away from identifying with our achievements and instead starting to understand what our inherent value is. That's beautiful. Um, well, I'm Haitian. So the, the immigrant question, definitely I can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say make work and achievement an extension of how you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Mm. Um, I had to recognize that I am a helper and a teacher. Um, these are values that I bring to those who I come in contact with. And I'd say I'm a pretty good balance of like my mom, the helper nurturer and my dad, who is like very much <laughs> a teacher. And so whatever I do has to be an extension of these traits that I possess. Uh, also on my website, which is where, what I thought you were going to quote. And I was like, Oh, okay. She didn't quote that. <laughs> so I say that, um, you know, we, we so focus on the doing that we lose the brilliance of being. And knowing our inherent value is not just a color issue, a woman issue. Um, it's a soul issue. And I know not everyone has the same faith as I do, but I, I say this, that if you don't question the blade of grass that's outside your window, don't question the value of your existence. Wow. Say more, because I love that. I mean, we, we, we don't. Like, we look at nature and we admire it, but we're not thinking, oh, I wonder why this rose is here. Or I'm wondering why, you know, this tree. We, we don't. Mm -hmm. But yet we question if there is value and worth of our, our being, our presence, our existence. And it blows my mind because I'm like, no disrespect to the blade of grass, <laughs> but I think we have a little more value than that blade of grass. Yes. 
And so I think we get so focused on, you know, our work and our achievements, but I would not achieve as much as I do if I did not connect it to my inherent, you know, character and, and values. So me helping and teaching, whether it's with clients or whether it's with my children or it's with my husband, like that's just me. And I think that we put, you know, the letters behind our names or the accolades we receive from work or from our peers as the, you know, the raison d'etre, the reason why, you know, we're here. And it's like, "Mm." I've even challenged parents, you know, who would have issues with their kids and go, if they didn't do everything you wanted them to do, are they not valuable to you? Do they, are they not loving or, or, or worth to, you know, to be loved by you? And it usually stops parents in their tracks. And I was like, if they're only thinking straight A's is the only reason why they should be loved, trust me, they're going to grow up to be an adult that has to always achieve. Otherwise, they're going to question their entire identity and existence. Yes, you are absolutely right. And those kinds of people end up feeling like we need to work twice as hard to get half the recognition so what is your advice on burnout and how to avoid burnout if you are either working a nine to five or you're trying to manage your side hustle in addition to your corporate job? Um, how do you recommend people manage burnout? I know it's cliche, but the work smarter, not harder is so true. Yeah. Um, and I think especially when we are a person of color. Um, or as women, you know, in the quote unquote minority gender, depending on where we work, we do feel like we got to work twice as hard. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but how are you going about it? And I think that we miss that we can leverage who we are and what we do to allow ourselves to be successful and not be stressed out and burnt out, you know, so that we can develop clear boundaries so that there is understanding. Um, you know, so especially at work, being able to talk to your manager and get a clear understanding of what the expectations are on a project. And, um, I, I remember I, I did a talk and one woman was saying that she loved her boss, but like he would give her a list of things and, um, she didn't know what to do about it. And I was like, well, do you like what you do? She said, yes. It's like, are you competent in what you're doing? And she goes, I'm very competent. I'm excellent. And I said, okay, so you need to use your voice in that moment and talk to your boss and say, hey, these are, you know, thank you for the list of things that you want me to do. However, I value the work that I do here and I like doing my work in excellence. And if I do all these 10 things on this list, I don't think I'll be able to do that. So what are the main things you need me to do so that you get the best work out of me? Mm And so I think we are always trying to burn, you know, what is it? Burn the, 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 the candle at both ends. Yeah. And it's like, no, why are we um, feeling that we have to do more when people connect to people? So you're doing the work, but no one knows you. So how are you going to get promoted? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Or you're, you're, you're chatty with everyone but then you're not doing the work that you need to do. Some people are like, man, we love working with James, but I don't really know how competent he is uh, to be promoted to the next level. So it's really being able to balance, like I said, leveraging who you are and what you do and being able to create boundaries for yourself so that you can always be in that vein of excellence. Because if you're doing too much, trust me, something's going to get cracked on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm actually, I can say this because I <laughs> just put in my two weeks like today. Um, hey, congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. I'm transitioning from, I have been working in research for the past like three years and now I'm moving into media, which, you know, judging from what I'm doing right now, that's, this is where yes. I want to be. And yeah. It's really, really exciting, but it's been interesting to, you know, tell people, hey, I'm leaving, like especially management, because I've had really interesting conversations and I've realized that 
the number one thing that has helped me, I haven't felt burnt out at work just because I, my boss is great. She's helped. She's taught me how to set really clear boundaries. Um, yeah. And she's helped me be a really effective communicator. So it's very easy for me to say like, these things can get done. These things will have to take a back seat, et cetera. Um, Love it. But the biggest thing I think that has helped me and that's put me on a track where I feel like, you know, if I ever did want to come back, I could has been the relationships that I've built with people that are mm. on all different levels. Um, because I think because I knew that my future was not in research. I didn't ever feel like so-and-so is too high up for me to say hi to them or to connect with them or to set up a 15 minute chat to learn about their career. So I, I realized today, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've built these really interesting relationships and they're going to last a really long time. Just, and it came because I had no reason to be afraid to build those relationships. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They can't, they happened organically. Yes. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, <laughs> I have experienced microaggressions at work <laughs> over what? the past Surprise. three years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, usually I just don't say anything. Um, one experience I've had is where I, I had straightened my hair. I used to have much longer, like now my hair is very short, but I used to have much longer hair and we were taking pictures and at the office and I just happened to have my hair straight um, that week. And usually my hair is like curly and like, you know, it's big. And one of my coworkers was like, oh, are you taking pictures today? And I said, yes. And she goes, oh, that's why your hair is looking nice. <laughs> Ooh. And I remember being like, oh, that's just uh, rude. It is rude. <laughs> it is rude. And I was like, what? And she, you know, she said, oh, no, I mean, like, straight and like, you know, and she tried to like, walk it back. And I remember being like, wait, I love my curly hair. Like, what are you? you know? <laughs> so how do you help people? Or how do you recommend that we manage microaggressions in the workplace without seeing overly without seeming overly aggressive or angry at the person that's doing it. Cause I recognize that, you know, I think for this particular person, she was not from the U S she like had not interacted with someone with my hair probably ever. Uh -huh. um, and I think for her, she was really just saying like, this is what I'm used to versus what yep. you usually have. So what? how do you recommend we manage microaggressions in the workplace? Well, I think you, this was a great example um, because, well, before I answer, may I ask, how did you respond? I um, froze <laughs> uh -huh. for the first like five seconds. And then, and it's hilarious because I was there to like help her with something. So I froze and then I thought, I just said, no, actually, I just happened to have straightened my hair. I didn't really say anything about curly being, you know, like one being nicer yeah. than the other. Besides to like throw up a, a sign and mm -hmm. like, black hair is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, I've been asked this question before. It really, really takes a lot of emotional intelligence. And when I say this, this is not just to um, quote unquote, check you the person on like, Oh, how you handle this. Mm -hmm. But I loved the part of, she was a foreigner. Um, she may have been unfamiliar. Like to think about the variables that are out there. Cause that's part of emotional intelligence so that you don't just react. Mm -hmm. You think about what are the other possibilities that are playing a, that could play a factor here. Because I think we become aggressive and angry um, because we're triggered and we don't practice the pause to go, how's the best way to respond? Because some of it is there are just some really ignorant people out there and not ignorant in the lack of knowledge, but ignorant, like rude, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, and so you want to, I always say like create safe spaces for yourself. So is that a person that you want to engage um, you know, do you, do, do you need to say something in that moment? And if you do say something, make sure that you lead with facts and, and not the feelings. Mm. So, you know, something like, 
Well, that's interesting that you would say that. Like when you were saying she was trying to walk it back, I was like, you must not be familiar with different hairstyles or different hair textures. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you need to kind of hold up the mirror to the person that's doing the microaggression. Because sometimes the comments are purposely, you know, hurtful. (laughs) And then there's other times where it's like, oh, shoot, I just stepped in something and didn't realize I did. And so especially at work, knowing how to respond to the individual and not the collective. Like if it's a white person saying something to you, not all white people are the same. (laughs) And the same way that we're, you know, not all black people are the same. Um, To be able to go like, ah, this is, this is Janet. I have a good relationship with Janet. It does seem like this is a comment because of lack of knowledge. Let me school her and explain what was going on. And so that she does not make this mistake again. That's if you want to invest in that. Then there's others where it's like, okay, I think that you're doing this. This is inappropriate. I'll going to let you know, like, I don't appreciate that comment. And if it continues in that manner, um, being able to address it to HR or a manager, if it's a colleague. Um, But I think the key is to not respond in the immediate emotion of like annoyance, you know, agitation or aggression, because they, they'll miss the message. Right. It's like when you're yelling at your kids, they're only going to hear the yelling. They're not going to hear, Hey, you're not supposed to do this because, right. Right. you know, so people right. usually miss the message because what they see is the emotion first and the words later. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So try to lead with the words. Um, you know, you can say, wow, that is really upsetting. Like you can verbalize the emotion, but try not to have the emotions overtake you. Yeah. Cause you know, as you're describing that, I'm like, I missed a huge learning opportunity or teaching opportunity because I really do think that if I had called her out on that, that would have changed her experience in the way that she, A, both like perceives black women's hair and how she talks about it as well um yeah yeah and I think like my emotions were high so my reaction was to like just retreat instead of saying something oh yeah fight or flight right right, right. (laughs) but I think too you never know just how she experienced your emotion yeah by watching how you responded probably was a teaching moment to her too. She may not have gotten the full understanding like, Oh, I upset Hiwote, but I don't know exactly why. So she may in the future choose not to say anything to a black woman about her hair, but she may not know the reason why. Right. 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 But there was some kind of learning, I hope based off of, you know, the way that you're saying, like she was trying to walk it back. So there is some awareness that was there of like, oh, I may have said something wrong. Um, but I, I also say, again, protect your space. Not everybody needs to be taught at every moment. Oof. <laughs> yes. Yes. I totally stand by that. I think so that's mental health. Just <laughs> let that one go. <laughs> Okay, so what I love about this whole conversation is that it's kind of been, um, we've been touching maybe in nuanced ways about finding your voice, whether in your career or your personal life. Um, And so I'm curious, are there books or resources that you recommend for listeners who want to find their voice and use it to grow in their purpose? Yes. So... Three books come to mind, Mm -hmm. uh, two by the same author. Um, So there's Daring Greatly and Daring to Lead by Brene Brown. She literally speaks my language. So every time I hear her, I'm like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) we we share a brain somehow. I don't know. Um, But Daring Greatly is a great book on, you know, the vulnerability, owning your voice in, in all spaces. And then her newest book, Dare to Lead, is specific to the workplace and leadership. Um, and another book that I think is great on owning your voice, but then great on emotional intelligence is Never Get Angry Again by David J. Lieberman. Okay. So to your question, you know, about the microaggression um, and not responding in an aggressive or angry way. But it's it's more than microaggression. It's just life. Like how we respond 
why is it that it triggers certain things in us? So this book walks you through um, owning that and, and recognizing what is coming up and being able to have that emotional intelligence to not always respond in the way you're, you were used to responding. Thank you so much. Those are great. I'm definitely going to pick up the two Brene Brown books first because yeah, and I, I love her in general, but I've also been looking for leadership books for my next job. Um, so that'll be great. Thank you. You're welcome. So where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about you or reach out to you? Where Where can they find you? Sure. So I am on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram at the same handle. So it's at Farah Harris LCPC and it's Farah F as in Frank, A-R-A-H Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. And then the letter is LCPC. Okay. Um, my website is farahharrislcpc.com. Um, and I am also on LinkedIn and I do also have a Facebook group called Working Well. And that group is specifically for individuals who want to understand work-life alignment. And, you know, of course, I sprinkle in the boundary development, emotional intelligence, and owning your voice because that's just my lane and I try to stay there. There's less traffic. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, it's a, it's a, a closed group. So, you know, I try to create safety because I am a therapist. So that's a place where, you know, you could talk about job transitions, dealing with coworkers, how to create, you know, um, you know, more alignment between what you do at work and your uh, personal life. So if anybody is interested in that group, come on in. We would love to have you. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for making time for this interview. I'm so glad we had it. I'm so glad to have been here. You are amazing. Um, I love this platform that you are um, building and um, the conversations that you're having, I definitely think it's needed. And that is it. I will also link Farah's website and the resources we mentioned in the show notes. I'm so happy I connected with Farah because she's such an incredible energy. And I hope you got that while listening to this episode. I had so many aha moments while while talking to her. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It will help make this episode um, more accessible to people who might be interested in this kind of uh, this kind of podcast. And if you want more from me, like goal setting worksheets and access to secret episodes, join the squad by going to depthandcandor.com backslash subscribe. You can also find me on Instagram at depthandcandor. And if you're looking to develop a skill, don't forget to try Skillshare for two free months using the promo code depthandcandorfree. Until next time, live vibrantly. Depth and candor.